Good evening and welcome to Point of View. I'm Chris Berg. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Friday evening. Coming up later in the show, just an incredible story coming out of Minnesota. Jones Soda is paying tribute to America's unsung heroes. We're going to introduce you to a trucker family. America's truckers, definitely unsung heroes through this COVID situation, but uh, has eight kids, eight kids. He and his wife are doing just an incredible, incredible job. So please stay with us as we pay tribute to him and his family. All right. As we know, um, the FDA has now approved the Pfizer vaccine. So we're going to begin to see that coming into Minnesota and North Dakota fairly shortly. So yesterday had a fascinating conversation. He's the chief medical officer at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Dakota, Dr. Greg Glaston. We talked about the vaccine and much, much more. Dr. Glaston, welcome to Point of View. Um, today, the FDA is having their public hearing regarding the Pfizer vaccine, whether they're going to greenlight it or not. Uh, many people concerned about how quickly this vaccine has been put together. I'm just curious uh, your take on this vaccine and for some people out there that have some trepidation about taking it. Well, I think it has been a very rapid vaccine development, but, you know, I think if there's one message we can get from the Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Dakota is that we want people to take the vaccine. You know, I believe that uh, Pfizer and Moderna are reputable companies and they're not going to bring up a, a, a product to market that isn't safe and isn't effective. You know, their reputation for all their future development will depend on these products being safe and effective. You know, if we're going to do all that we can at Blue Cross to make the vaccine available. In other words, in the initial rollout, federal government is going to pay for the vaccine. Blue Cross and Blue Shield is going to waive the administration fee, you know, so that everybody has no barriers to getting the vaccine. I don't think our society is going to get back to a normal level of function if we don't get the, 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 the masses vaccinated and then, uh, and then allow us to uh, try to get back to some sense of normality in our lives. I want to show you a couple articles that came out yesterday. One from CNBC, it says that the FDA says Pfizer's vaccine is safe and effective, but some participants warn of intense symptoms after the second shot. There was another piece that said uh, um, over in the UK, some regulators were warning that people with significant food and medicine allergies had an anaphylactic reaction to the Pfizer vaccine. What say you? I think you're always going to have some small segment of the population that's going to have a reaction to any medication, whether it's a vaccine or an antibiotic or, or an antihypertensive. And some of the antibiotics that are out there today would never make the, the mainstream use from their allergy profile. So it's not surprising that you're going to see a patient or two have a reaction to the medication. If you even look at any drug labeling, the adverse effect on anything, you'll see a whole list of uh, of uh, side effects, and most of those are minor. I mean, the ones I read about, injection site soreness, some some just general feeling poor afterwards, but that's pretty common, and even the flu vaccine that you get every year, you'll have some of those. I think people are hypersensitive about what they're reporting with this new vaccine, and so I think it'll be good because we'll be able to build a database of things to look for, and then to, to figure out really what are the, who are the, the people that shouldn't take the vaccine, Prior, aller prior allergies to vaccines and some of the products in the vaccines, those kind of things. And But the vast majority of the population should be able to get the vaccine. I believe it'll be safe. And I believe that that'll be the, the, the quickest way for us to get back to living our lives. So let me ask you this, because a lot of people are putting this out there saying, okay, we've got a 98, 99 plus percent survival rate from COVID. 
and now we're going to institute a vaccine that's suggesting it's got a 95% effectiveness rate. Two things. One, what does that effectiveness rate mean specifically? And two, when you've got a 98, 99% survival rate, why is a vaccine so critical? Well, I'll jump into the second one first. I would say, you know, if you have that survival rate, but you also have, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people are dying from this disease. So, yes, yes, a small segment of the society will die from the disease, but those are preventable deaths if they, if they get the vaccine. The vaccine will, you know, even if it doesn't convey complete immunity, it makes the symptoms and the disease state, if you do get infected with the disease, much less because your body has an, an immune response ready to go to, to combat the disease. So I would say even, yes, young, healthy people have a much lower risk of death. You know, 65 and older tends to be a higher risk group that, that are risk for death. And then I think obesity is the other big risk factor. But you could make the same argument with the influenza vaccine. You can prevent influenza, and even if the influenza vaccine isn't 100% effective, even if you get it, you have a much less severe form of the disease. And so we can prevent a whole lot of deaths by doing this. So the effectiveness rate at 95%, I guess that's the question is, one, does that mean 95% of the people that take it have complete immunity from COVID? Or what is that effectiveness rate? How would you define that? Um, and then I secondly- would define that as 95%. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I would define that as 95% of people mounting immune response that helps them combat the virus when it get, if they get infected with it. So if after the first shot, you might have a 50% immune response to the to the virus if you get exposed to it. So that your body is already prepared for that virus, just like any vaccine. You know, your body has memory, it builds up antibodies so, so that if you get infected with the virus that you'll have a, your body will be ready to fight the disease. And so after two rounds, 95% of the people form an antibody response so that they're able to uh, fight the disease before it becomes catastrophic in terms of all the, the side effects of the lung, the heart, the kidney. I mean, this disease just doesn't affect one organ system, it, it affects a lot. Of organ systems and even if you get through and have survival there's going to be a long-term sequelae for a chronic disease from patients that do survive the disease that are going to have the long tail from from the virus god and then the other thing is um there, I've, I've had some lack of clarity and so let's say I, I get the vaccine at what point then do i have supposed total immunity is it six weeks after the second shot or do you know you know, I don't know that that's been completely defined. And that's why you still hear if you get the vaccine, you still need to wear a mask, right? Because I don't think all of this is ironed out. Normal vaccines are 10 years or more in development, and they've got trials and data to to, to, to base the recommendations off of. This is coming at literally light speed, a warp speed, if you want to call that, because the country needs it because people are dying every day. So the, the response, you know, the emergency response has been actually really pretty impressive from a medical standpoint, how to develop a vaccine and get it to market in under 12 months. You know, I don't know the exact numbers for that. I know, I, I believe that after the first vaccine, you get about a 50% response of antibodies. And then after the second one, there's about a 95% response of antibodies for those that get the vaccine. So uh, will you ever be 100% immune? I don't know that anybody could say that. I just don't yeah. know if they know that data yet. So the other question that I have is you said, hey, Chris, there's no way these companies are going to put out a product that's not going to be fully effective and, and good for the human body. And yet, and you probably know this better than I do, these companies are immune from any legal action if, if something goes bad. So 
why is that? If, if, the, if they know that they're going to put a good product out there, then shouldn't, if something does go awry, the American people have a chance to take legal action against them if something goes bad? I think that that decision and that, that, that answer probably comes from a chair a lot higher than mine. I, I think this is an emergency pandemic situation and they're trying to get these companies to bring forth a product as fast as they can and as safe as they can. I don't really, I don't feel I'm in a position to judge whether or not these companies should be liable for any uh, problems with their product. I mean, I, 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 they, they don't bring any product to market that they really intentionally had cause have could right. have caused harm. However, you know, things happen. And, you know, I don't think anybody can say anything's 100% safe. And I just think, you know, the, the stimulus of getting this out, and otherwise you, you could, should, could we wait 10 years for a vaccine? I don't think the country or the world could handle that. Yeah, but I think, and that's why I asked you the question, because I, I think that's where you see the trepidation from people is like you just said, hey, Chris, normally this is a 10 year process. We've cut it down to nine, you know, nine, maybe 10 months. Mm -hmm. Why do you have confidence in this vaccine, knowing that when I mean, we've just cut the development 10 times? You know, if you do any reading on it, and I, I did a little prep for this. So, you know, there are several models of uh, uh, um, vaccine development that were that were used as guides for this. And I think that the technology and the computer modeling accelerates that pace. At the end of the day, you have to get a product and you have to do human trials. And then you have to monitor the response and you have to monitor the side effects. And really, that's what it comes down to. And I think that's where we probably just don't know enough to really say with confidence, uh, you know, 100 percent confidence that this vaccine is going to work and it's not going to have any adverse effect. I think any vaccine, there are some adverse effects to, to, to a small subset of the population. But if we're looking at a pandemic and population health you know, response, the vast majority of those that are in the phase three trials have had good immune response and have had very minimal or no side effects. You know, and, and I remember now as I asked you that question a while back, I was speaking with somebody. They said, hey, Chris, the, the distinction with this vaccine development is that I think they had like 70,000 human trials. So, I mean, they had a chance to really flush it out with a lot of uh, you know different people. You mentioned that, hey, Chris, you know, we need this vaccine because we're losing so many people right now to this disease. The other piece I guess I would like to hear from you as a doctor, because I'm sure you're seeing this and as you work with patients, is the is the balance. You know, you hear about these mental health issues and young people with uh, taking their own lives because of these lockdowns. I guess that would be my question to you as a, as a doctor through your point of view. How do you see the balance of, hey, yes, we need to start working this vaccine. Yes, we need to be conscious of the, of the loss of life. But also now you've got all these issues in mental health. Where do we start to reopen America again? Well, I think we reopen America when, you know, the, 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 the CDC and the experts say it's safe to reopen America. You know, I, I get it. I see patients, and I see the I see the mental health, you know, stress that's going on, and and uh, the loss of uh, social interactions. A lot their their families uh, have problems. They are they can't work. Uh, so it's real. And I think in in a in a general sense, you're seeing our young generation lose a year of their life. You know, no school, no school involvement, no social interaction, no sports, no just no 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 social interaction. Yeah. But but. You know, you take that, and if you say, "Well, if kids don't have a very high mortality rate from the from the disease," and yet if they if their grandmother's living with them or if they go see their grandmother, then that's a very high risk group to come in. And then you, all of a sudden, grandmother's in the hospital or she passes away from the complications of the virus. Then I think it becomes much more real. And so I think you know, 
these these recommendations aren't without merit and they're not 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 without thought or logic. So what we're just trying to do is decrease the load so we can slow down the spread of the disease and allow treatments to become more effective. So we just have less lives lost. You know, I want, to add, I want to add, you just mentioned about the, the, the load. And a lot of people, there's been a big conversation about viral load. There was a piece in the New York Times where they looked at, I think it was New York, Massachusetts, and Nevada, and they had 40,000 positive COVID tests. And what they realized, and, and you will get in this testing here in a moment, but that out of those 40,000 people that tested positive, there was only 4,000 of them that actually had enough viral load to be contagious. Um, your take on that one, why aren't we having a more robust conversation about getting better testing to determine viral load because now we're quarantining legitimately healthy people for 10 to 14 days that aren't even contagious. And that I think you're looking at, uh, let's go to the safest position first and then we'll work back from there because it's gone from 14 days to 10 days. Now they're trying to look at measuring viral load. But right now, you just there's just not enough information out there to give a real good answer. Uh, uh, you know, look in the flu season. Why does somebody in the same household get the flu and somebody in the same house doesn't get the flu? They just didn't get enough viral load or they didn't get the right exposure. Uh, maybe they have some immunity. These are just things that just aren't known out there right now. And so what do we have to do? We have to go to what's, what provides the best protection for everybody. You know, I'm, you know, nobody, I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like to stay at home every night. But you know what? If you do that, it does make a difference and it does decrease the transmission of the disease and it decreases the disease burden in, in, the, in, in the community. Thank you so much to Blue Cross Blue Shield and Dr. Glasner for the insight there. If you want to see more of that conversation or any of our conversations, please go to our Facebook page. It's facebook.com forward slash POV now. All right. Stay with us when we come back. We're going to pay tribute to some of America's unsung heroes, i.e. our truckers. And as always, you can please share your point of view with us. You can email us, text us, leave us a voicemail. We'll be right back. 